We uh, have been in First Peter, and uh, we had a section last week we didn't quite finish, so I'm just going to pick it up there. What we started off with was um, in verse 18, dealing with redemption, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, it was called, that's what we titled that. Um, yeah, I do. Um, you guys... Okay, Johnny, you already got the outlines out there and everything, didn't you? Fantastic. Uh, in, in last week on the outline was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed from, oh, redeemed from sin. The trial to release by paying a ransom price and we were released from that, uh, the sin. And then we looked at, um, we were redeemed with what? The precious blood. And of course, that violent death that uh, he... Uh, took on our sin, and then we saw that we're redeemed by Christ, and then we go into the very last section of that verse, um, verse 20 and into 21. In these last times for the sake of you, He redeemed us for our sake. Of course, if you look at it from God's angle, he redeemed us for His sake, <laughs> but also for us. It's nice to know, isn't it? Who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Uh, redemption is for us. Redemption is applied to us, uh, received by faith, so that we would become believers in God. And what for? What are we redeemed for? So that your faith and hope are in God. Right at the end of verse 21. And so when you think of faith and hope, we've already seen that before. I think going back all the way back to, was it verse 13? Where it said, fix your hope completely on the grace. Faith and hope, and we kind of showed how they are so closely linked together. Um, Faith is in the sense of uh, what and how we live now, where we're living at in this world. We uh, are trusting in God. Of course, we have the hope. But the, the, the faith is all the little things, everything that we go through, the just having vital confidence in God right now at the present time. And then also, hope is dealing with something that is in the future. So faith, hope, they're so tied together so that your faith and hope are in to God. Into God is the literal sense of that um, Greek there. That your faith and hope are into God. And what this is stressing is relationship. A deep relationship. We've been redeemed so that God would have a relationship with us. That's really what it's about, that He would be able to uh, uh, convert us so that we would be, in a sense, creatures of His that He owns, that He bought, and so that He could have a relationship with us. And so, in the meantime, we have trust or faith right now, and our hope is knowing what He's going to do, to be able to trust Him in the present so that we know that in the future He will, um, I guess you could say, have a future redemption where we will have new bodies. 
uh, present and future hope. Hey, go to Second Corinthians eight nine for a moment. Yeah, he redeemed us so that we could have a relationship with him. Well, that's the yeah the ultimate sense. Of course, even now we know we we do, but in the fullest sense, there's where that that hope really comes in. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich. Yet for your sake, He became poor so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. You notice in uh, that verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sake. So, look what He he did for us. It's for us. And uh, so... And, and the ultimate of it all is that we can relate to Him, have, have relations. Uh, we live now by faith. We look into the future. We look into the, into the One that is to come. And God wants you to live in hope. And that's back to verse 13. To live in hope. And that's where all the commands even started in, in the hope of God. And then He mentions holiness. You should be holy, for I am holy. So let's take some H words here. Hope, right? In verse 13. Verse 16, holiness. And the next verse is dealing with uh, fearing God. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth while you're living here. Conduct yourselves in fear. Uh, an awe, a reverence, or uh, I guess you could say honor. Totally honoring Him. So what do we have? We have hope, holiness, honor. And so the motive for uh, all of this, for doing that, is to understand what He has done in providing this redemption. And so He's given us quite a grand doctrine of, of redemption and how we're to look at it and having that hope and having the holiness and having also that um, that awe or that honor for Him, when we understand um, what He has done, when we see that redemption plan, um, why wouldn't we want to do that, right? So that kind of sets us up for the next section. And um, so why don't we just have a word of prayer? Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this great plan of redemption. Thank You for buying us taking us out of the sin, the slave market that we were in, setting us free into Christ so that we can honor You, that we can be holy, and truly that faith and the hope that we have is in You. And You have granted that to us. You've made us believers. And uh, Lord, it's uh, everything was done by you. And may we honor you as we look at your word as it talks about the imperishable seed. In Jesus' name, amen. So, hey, we got caught up, right? Last section of the uh, the first chapter. And this one is entitled Fervent Love. And you remember, Paul began this great epistle 
with a, an amazing discussion of salvation that started in verse 1, went right on through verse 12, and he talked about the glory of salvation. Now he's talking about response to salvation, and what we have just covered was our response to God in salvation. In um, verses 13 through 21, we just kind of finished that. There's a second response. Our response towards God is that we want to what? And we already covered Oh, I just kind of mentioned it a while ago. Hope, holiness, honor. And that is to God. In the next section, it's a response to each other. God's people. That only makes sense, doesn't it? If you have your relationship right with God, then you want to expand that out and then have it right with uh, His people. A response toward other people. Love each other. So, um, why don't we read verse 22 through the rest of the chapter. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you. All believers can say that, can't they? Word of God. So, it's interesting. There's a this verse 22. Fascinating phrase in here. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls. Have you ever thought about purifying your souls? That's, that raises quite a question, doesn't it? You know, we've been talking about it's all God's work and all of a sudden it says we purified. Oh, we'll get to that. Uh, the first question we have to look at here is God is making a command. And and He started doing that in verse 13. The command here obviously is to love. Can we respond? I mean, who can respond? When did we get the ability to be able to love? When, when did that happen, right? If I were to go up to someone and command that they love one another... Um, I'd have to presuppose that they had the capacity to do that. Can you walk up to just anybody off the street, somebody that would be a, a pagan, and tell them or expect them to love others? And we're talking about the godly kind of love. Uh, we're not talking about phileo love, a brotherly love. We're not talking about an erotic love. Uh, we're not talking about a um, just a, a love that is in general for the for a family type love. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the agape love, God's love. And we have to have the capacity. The natural man does not have the capacity to do this. So we're we're given a command here that uh, when he's talking about it in obedience to the truth, well, we're taking the fact that this is only believers that, that can do this. Uh, look in John 5.42, speaking of uh, natu- the natural man. Jesus uh, speaking here. 
Yeah, pick it up 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's these that testify about Me. And you are unwilling to come to Me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. So, you know, how could anybody who is not trusting in Christ have that kind of love for other people? They can't. It's impossible. Yeah. Is the love uh well they they should because in Ephesians five that's what the the husbands are told to do to the wives, like Christ loved the church. So then if somebody is a Christian or not a Christian but they get married Well now they're okay, there's a there's a Philadelphia kind of love. Right, right. Then there's a kind of love that is a storge, right. which is a natural Love for family members, for instance, just people that are around you, and then there is the um, the erotic type of love. Okay, so there's different loves. Usually, that's what the world is thinking of out there, or Philadelphia. You know, those are uh, like Philadelphia. That's a good word. You know, and and it's even used in here. Um, again, uh, when you see the word love, you'll see it pop up, and it'll have Philadelphia in there. Love for the brethren. Um, but yeah, they cannot. An unbeliever cannot have that kind of love because it's they don't have the love of God in them. They'll have a, you know a kind of a natural love, but usually it's it's going to be selfish. Um, they can they can get close. You will see uh, individuals who are not Christians that might have better marriages than many Christians, and, and they really do love each other in the sense that you know they will. Uh, go out of their way to help others, you know. But still, yet if they don't know God, they don't have that kind of love that believers would have. Does that help? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, that's what it's it's going to be because uh, yeah. Right. Well, it's people that do good works. For instance, some people do some really good things for people, but if they don't have um, the love of God in them. If they don't have the grace of God, if, if they don't have that, they're not going to be able to uh, produce an, an agape love. And this is the kind that uh, Peter is talking about here. Uh, this sincere love. The first question is, when, we were, when were we enabled to love like this? And I think it's obvious. Uh, of course, you get into verse 23 and it shows, for you have been born again. So it's believers that have this, and uh, that that phrase about purifying your souls. Okay, you receive the capacity to sincerely love other people. You have that in you now. Didn't may not have known that, but it's there automatically. You you were purified at, uh, at salvation. You you were purified. God does that. The time when your souls were purified was the time when you obeyed. And what did you obey? The truth, right? Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls, what he's doing is taking us, first of all, back to salvation, back to whenever um, we now have the capacity to do what he tells us to do. And the verb here means just that. Purify. It means to cleanse, um, to to purify. 
And it's in a perfect tense. So it's starting at one time and keep on going. Right? Uh, now that you have purified your souls, now that that has already been accomplished, the perfect tense can look to a past act with present continuing results. Right? Does that make sense? Something that's been in the past that will continue on in, in the present. Now that you have already purified your souls, love one another. In other words, the loving of one another is going to be based upon the purifying of the soul. Right? So an impure soul, one that is sinful, one that is not converted, one that's not transformed, one that is not sanctified, uh, they cannot do that. But verse 23 tells us that we've been born again. That has happened. God has done that. He has purified us. And yet it says, purify your souls. And you did it when you were born again. And a perfect tense is something that was in the past with a continuing result. It looks back to the moment of salvation. You were born again at the moment of salvation. You were purified at that moment of salvation. And you'll also note that in verse 23, you have been born again. That's passive, right? That's something that God has done. We, we didn't. God's the one who is acting there. He's the one, the one that's doing the work. You purified your souls in a passive sense. But from the human viewpoint, he says you purified your souls and what happens? God transformed you and here's where the practicality of this comes out. It's all based upon what God did and what He started and what He is doing. And so it's not only dealing with uh, the past and, and the past sins and such and all, everything that went, went back there, but it appears to be um, a human effort that's referred to here. You keep looking at that. Although we know that what God has done, but purified your souls. In Revelation, it says something like that right at the end of the book. And it sounds like a works. It almost sounds bothersome, doesn't it? Sounds uncomfortable. You purified your souls. When, when we've already seen what, what God has done and what Peter has already talked about, and then he comes out with this, this phrase, but um, we know it's God working it, God washing, God purging. Let's look at that for a moment and then we'll come back to this. Go all the way back to Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-four. Way back there. Famous section here. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. There's a cleansing. There's a purifying. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's Ezekiel 36. That started at 24. Now that's a that's a that's a passage that you would probably want to keep in mind. Circle that if you need to, underline it whatever, but that's a great passage to turn to about what God uh, does. Now, that's dealing with um, all of us have had this happen. If you're a Christian, this is what happened. God did that. Uh, Puritans would take then uh, verse 31 and down. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you'll loathe yourself hmm. for your iniquities and your abomination. Rep- repenting, yeah. yeah. Because he did this, right. then we'll see what he... Yeah. For not loving God. You know what this reminds me of, Dennis, is having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. It's like, you know, salvation is a gift, and, you know, as if in a picture, God gives us this gift, which is like a, a wrapped package, and we unwrap the package, and the gift's in there, and then we begin to use that gift to honor Him. That's, you know, our. Involvement with it, you know, our uh, response to God giving us that gift. We're going to now trust and obey Him. Yeah, He's made it all possible. He's cleared the path and done it all. But now He's given us this free gift, and we uh, we trust and obey through. Yeah, yeah, and we can yeah, do it. Yeah, don't just sit yeah. there. And it's one thing to know that it's possible, but now. Yeah, he enables us and, and commands us to. Yeah. Yeah, I like what you brought forth there to the the rest of the verses. Here's he brings us out of an uncleanness, and then is when we start seeing those evil ways. Yeah. Uh, the, the loathing, the, the hating of sin, yeah, the and the purity. The more you see that. Yeah. What he's and what he's delivered us from. Yeah, the Puritans wrote heavily uh, like that, uh, loathing the sin that they were battling so much. <laughs> oh, Ezekiel. They had a great balance. You'll notice in uh, the Valley of Vision, so often they'll say so many of those, the, the loathing of sin, and yet they what do they do? They multiply the grace of God and all that He has done. You, you always get the balance. But, uh, and, and balance is right here in Scripture. And you see it right there in Ezekiel 36, as, as pointed out. Uh, go to Second Peter chapter 1. Yeah, Zach, that, that's right. That verse, uh, what did you say, 22? 22. Yeah. That's right. Had, had you guys looked at that verse yet? We proclaimed His name. Yeah. 
His sake. Yeah. And that starts with that. It's for His sake. And then you see where it finally comes back over. But if we can see where God starts at things rather than us, then when we start seeing the proper way, then we can see how we fit in with that then rather than the other angle, which is really the popular way of our time. One nine. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, that's for people who... Um, when people start doubting their salvation, and sometimes you hear the old word backslide. Actually, that's a biblical term. You see it in the Old Testament. But they're, just, they're not walking with the Lord or they become kind of blind. They can't see. They, they need glasses. And so Peter, he says, okay... In verse 5, 2 Peter 1, 5. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. So have diligence, add on to that moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, add this knowledge. And in your knowledge, add self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, add godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean if you're not gaining these things or not taking a step up? Well, he kind of says in verse 9, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, nearsighted, (laughs) I'm nearsighted, Is there a wall right there? (laughs) Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. They'll start forgetting all that God has done and, and how he's worked through them. All of a sudden they can't see. And if we have not been gaining the knowledge and desiring God's will in our life and everything and really wanting to seek after Him, then this is what happens. We forget what He has done and uh, sometimes people start doubting the salvation. And this is a good text to go to for that. That is what has happened. Yeah. And verse 10 says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling knowing what He's called you for, and choosing you for as long as you practice these things. If you're putting these into your everyday lives, then you will not stumble. You will never stumble. There is no reason to doubt your Lord and Savior. Um, you know, He's provided all this. So, yeah, that's a, it's a great text dealing with uh, how we are to be fruitfully growing. And so, it's, it's, it's the work of God in us. But... We, we have been purified. And Peter's reminding us. <laughs> Don't forget that. Uh-huh. It makes an interesting comment about where it talks about um, it's so nearsighted and he is blind. And it says that using both of those words in the same sentence is unusual because 
each of those is mutually exclusive. If you're nearsighted, you can't be blind. Right. If you're blind, you can't be nearsighted. But he says that um, Peter is using that. It, it's a linguistic tool they used as a, mul- a multiplication of terms to emphasize the severity of it because if they're nearsighted, you squint to see that that means that the truth was actually there in sight. They see it, they knew it was there, but they still can't make forgot about yeah. it. And, um, yeah. 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 So he went to a pretty good extreme there, didn't he? The rejection of the truth is in view, is how he put it. Yeah. If you're saying you can still see, you're squinting. Right. It's helpful, isn't it? Sure is. First uh, Corinthians six eleven says, uh, he's talking about in verse ten, nine, and ten. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, covetous drunkards, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, Such were some of you, Corinthians, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of our God. So there's washing, there's a purifying, a sanctifi- a sanctifying. You were, you were washed, you were cleansed. Uh, Ephesians 5.25 That sounds like a familiar verse. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. That's how we're cleansed. The Word of God. That, But... We have been cleansed, right? Mm-hmm. Titus 2.14. A lot of these. Talking about Christ who gave Himself up for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. There again, He purifies for Himself His people. Might as well stay in Titus and go to chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. A washing, cleansing, purifying. We see salvation there. Other passages, but um, it's the work of God but it's never apart from the desire of His own. Who, who, who sinned? We sin. We're, we're still sinners in a sense, but the desire to do pure things is there. It's, it's in us. You were not saved against your will, were you? You really weren't. He... He came to us to where we... That's what we wanted. But He made it happen. You're not saved against your desire, but God the Spirit moved on your own desires, on on your own life. God moves on your will. And we correspond to that. God produced the conviction that we had originally. I mean, whenever he uh, regenerated us. 
Well, when the Holy Spirit comes in and generates us, gives us life, so many different things happen. And now, before we were enemies, and all of a sudden now we have a desire to do the things of God. You know, it's, uh, that's the supernatural working. God produced a conviction in our will and our desires. We wouldn't have had the conviction before, and now we have the conviction. And it's an ongoing thing. Believers are, are convicted all throughout their own walks. It's a, there's a practical sense that we're moving into in, in the Peter sense, but it starts with God. <laughs> Always starts there. And that's why we looked at so many verses. There's a sense we were purified positionally, that happened, but there's a practical sense where purification goes on and on and on, and it's really what Jesus said when He was talking to Peter. Uh, remember the, the feet were being washed? He said, uh, you know, I want to wash your feet. Peter says, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. You can't do that. I don't want... You know, and then what did what did the Lord say? Well, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part in me. Okay, just wash me all over, right? <laughs> Head to toe. Peter, you've already been washed. You just need your feet clean. And when you think of the tabernacle, dirt floor, after you have the brazen altar there, which is where the lambs, goats, sheep sacrifices, oxen. And of course, the priest would then do their duty and as they would walk, there would be the laver. So there is salvation at the brazen altar, the sacrifice. But the next step is where they, the hands and the feet are cleansed in the laver. And as they would go back and forth uh, doing their priestly duty, they would be washing their hands, washing their feet. It was a constant, ongoing thing. And that is the idea of uh, our sanctification. We just need our feet clean. That's our part. I guess you can say a synergistic part. I don't like synergism in salvation, but after salvation, we are to be obedient. And of course, we are. Our, our new nature is obedience. Peter says it here. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. So, um, obedience to the truth. Look in First Peter one two. Uh, talking about the chosen in verse 1, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. So there's the sanctification, uh, the obedience, the washing, the obedience right there in verse 1. Peter comes right back with it uh, in verse 22, putting the two together. Uh, go to Romans 1, verse 5. Talking about Christ, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake. Uh, the obedience of faith is is to bring them to salvation, to bring, to take the good news of the gospel to them, so that they were they would be obeying, that 
they would have obedience to the faith. Uh, that's what we want, right? We want people to be able to obey the Lord. In Romans 6, Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. The true doctrine of God. Obedient from the heart. So obedience is necessary if one has salvation. A purification of the souls and obedience Go to Romans 16.26. You can't have faith without obedience, can you? You can't have it without a purification. It's all that we've seen starts with God. It's an ongoing thing. It shows what a believer really is. 16.26. But now is manifested, and by the Scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. So a Christian is one who has been made that way. They are obedient. That is their nature. And then one's going to ask, yeah, but what happens when we disobey? But what's our nature? We are obedient. And that's what Peter, I think, is is working there with. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls, there's a... Yeah. Whereas before you didn't have the nature, you didn't have the power. Now you submit to the truth. There's a there's a turning from sin. You know, there's your repentance, and there's a submission to the truth. That's what's going to happen when one one is born again. It's that's a true saving faith. Um, that's that's its essential nature. That uh, there's there's repentance, there's confession, there's obedience to the truth. That's all coming from Him, but yet we uh, we have an act of submission in our Christian walks. There's an act of obedience, isn't there? And this is what happens when, when we're saved. There's a purging, a cleansing, a purifying of by the Spirit in order that you would obey Jesus Christ. That's what He brought us there for. Part of that pur- purging there is the capacity to love one another. So I guess you could sum that part up. So since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls, love one another. Love one another. By the way, he says, you have so purified your souls and so obeyed the truth, you've been saved that your love, and note this, sincere love, is real. And that's what he has given us the capacity. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren that is built into you. Christians. And of course, First John just keeps reiterating it all the way through. Uh, if you're uh, one who says um, you love God but you don't love your neighbor, you don't love one another, then what? Not of His, right? 
that's that's such a mark of a Christian. It's all through, all through the week, right? right? It's yeah, just exactly. constant, right? The um, the love of the brethren. Now, whenever he talks, um, there's a phileo, which is your brotherly love. It's Philadelphia, you know, right? Delphos, phileo. Um, so there is that sense that Christians are to do that. And of course, they also have the uh, agape love from God to others. And so the two go hand in hand. So what happened, I guess what you're talking about, Carolyn, there is when you were saved, He not only gave you the capacity to love others, but He gave you a new family to express it to. And so He starts with other believers. That's really the family of God. That's where our love starts. Of course, we know it goes further, much further out. It goes to your neighbor. And who's that? Everybody, right? But it starts in the very family of God. By this, all men will know that, what? You are my disciples. Yeah? Um, in Second John, which is what we're studying in this moment right now, and he talks about love, but you know, love for the brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he says, you know, to love others enough to bring the gospel to them, but it's not the same type of love. So is that the, is that the two different loves we're talking about there? Agape love and phileo, phileo. In Second John. Yeah. I got a feeling I would need to look at it. I got a feeling it's probably agape that you would be willing to lay your life down even for anybody. And that's not necessarily, hey, I'm gonna you know go out and die for somebody. But I mean, you know, to really have that, you can do that because even though they're enemies of God, you have the God, uh, God who shed abroad His love in our hearts to give it to others who don't deserve it. And that's what he expects us to do. Yeah. Because I guess, of course, you know, we're using the one and the he one, and a lot of that was his wording, that we aren't expected to have the same degree of love for the brother who, you know, for our brothers and sisters in Christ versus the non-believer. Yeah, I think what he's saying is it starts with the household of God. Uh, we have that special kind of relationship. It's just like a husband and wife. Um, you know, they love each other, right? And you are to love your neighbor. But you're not going to love your next door neighbor over there, uh, you know, some a, a guy loving another, let's say a lady, uh, the same way that he's going to love his wife, right? And so it is in the family of God. We have that kind of love, but we still have the love for the people that they would hear the gospel and come to the obedience of the truth. As it says here. Yeah, I think so. But, um, of course, I'd have to look at that context. I, 
I don't know at the moment, but I, I, I tend to think so, probably. So I know in First John it talks about not only just believers, but also just anybody. Yeah. Yeah, take a look at that. You check that out. <laughs> Most of the time, whenever he's using it, especially in First John, uh, agape is used over and over and over and over again. There's a, a song, an old uh, contemporary Christian song, Love is Not a Feeling. I can't remember who did that one. But, um, anyway, that, that kind of comes to mind. I'm thinking you know, about the God kind of love being just, it, it's not about feeling for people in a way of, well, I really kind of like their personality, so I'm going to you know, try to love them. It, it's actually... It's just being intentional to to show God's love to anybody, whether whether they're your kind of person or not, you know, or whatever, you know. What I'm saying, whether you click with them, whether whatever, you know. It's, you feel it's just an intentional. Some people it's hard to be intentional. Well, but it's easier to be intentional than it is to feel. Is what I'm saying. In other words, you can. You can love them thinking, you know, Christ wants me to go talk to that person. I really don't have a lot of feelings yeah, for them, but... Yeah, you know... That's why you call brothers and sisters. It's <laughs> <laughs> not entirely sure that would be classified as love. I mean, if you walk down the street saying love is not an emotion, that just sounds like you're starting to call that. <laughs> well, but the God kind of love... You know what it is? It's, it's being required to, to be the obedient. You're being required to stir emotions for that person. In other words, you're 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 doing something that's unnatural. Mm-hmm. It's supernatural because you're you're actually you're saying this is this is Christ in me that desire to show the person. I just need to be a vessel, mm-hmm. you know. Not and maybe the feelings have come. You know, I think where McGee goes on to say about that. You know, uh, if he was a missionary, he'd go over to. Uh, you know, another country, I've heard him say this before, and, and be a missionary. He doesn't love those people right away. I mean, in a feeling kind of way or have relationships with them, but they develop over time, and, and that can come. Yeah. But right now, he's just got to show them Christ and his attention and, and, you know, give them the gospel, give the feed them, clothe them, whatever he's got to do to, you know. These are strangers that you're supposed you to know, just be intentional that you're gonna you're gonna sacrifice something of yourself toward them. You know. He sure doesn't. He doesn't make it sound that way though. Well, if you listen to the radio, <laughs> these are transcripts of his radio. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I've heard him say that. Yeah, times. and it just doesn't read that way. Yeah, because he t- he talks about uh, Jonah, you know, and yeah, going to Nineveh. So same that. thing, you know. It's like he doesn't like those people, yeah, but he's got to. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway. I'll bring that next. I didn't want to try to. Okay. I'm not trying to take take up the time. Oh, we're and and our time. You guys were able to make it through the yeah. news to call and have that. Be ready anytime. Um, want to hit on on that one word fervently, and and we'll close it out for the night here. How are we to love? Fervently. Sincere love of the bre- Sincere love of the brethren. True, genuine, fervently. Interesting word, ektenes, and it means to 
like a muscle that is to be stretched out to its very maximum, all the way to the limit. Um, it's like um, literally stretching out as far as it can go. A really graphic type term. Um, kind of goes along with a physiological thought or uh, a horse's muscles as the horses in the race and they're extending out at the very end, you know, letting it really go. Um, I guess it could. <laughs> yeah. As far as you can reach. Well, um, go to First Peter 4 eight. Four eight. Above all, he says it again, keep fervent, he must like that word, in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. That's uh, one who doesn't want to go around broadcasting somebody's sin. What he wants them to do is come come back to you know to to the truth and and be repentant. They're they're going to try to keep it down. They don't they don't want the sin to be spread out and then to be uh, heard of not only in the church but outside the church. Uh, it's not talking about covering over sin and putting it under the rug and not thinking about it. Um, but it's loving so much uh, of of someone that you don't want this to go any further. You want them to get built back up. Uh, another use of that word fervent uh, is in Luke 22.44. Jesus in the uh, garden of Gethsemane. And you know what He's doing there. He's praying, right? And being, Luke 22.44, and being in agony, He was agonizing, he was praying very fervently. And what happened whenever he stretched it to the limits? Well, his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. So his prayer was fervent as far as it could go. Literally to the uh, very limit, the capacity, as far as he could reach. So a stretching, intense, unrelenting sacrificial kind of love that reaches out as far as it can go. Whatever it costs you. Whatever it costs in making you weary. Whatever it costs you, period. Wow, well that's quite a, quite a demand there, isn't it? Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, here's what I want you to do. Here's what's built into you. Fervently, one another love one another from the heart. So you see where he's getting all this at. See where he's driving it, right? And then he, and if that's not enough, then he's going to come back, and this is where we'll pick up next week. But uh, why are we to do that? That'd be the next question to be asked. Well, why are we to love? Why are we to fervently love somebody like that? For you have been. Born again. Born again. Anyway, that's it for our section tonight.